we're back. Welcome to the Bricks and Mortar podcast. This is episode number 10. Bricks and Mortar podcast, well that's a podcast about property. If you've got an interest in property, if you're buying, selling, renting or investing in property, then I'm sure we have something that interests you for the next 20 or 30 minutes. We'll try and float your boat and light your candle. So a busy old week in the Williams household. We've had uh, Scottish schools, went up to Grangemouth to watch Amy compete in the Scottish schools high jump. Uh, she managed 145 and uh, and bowed out. I think the winning jump there was something like 165. Uh, good experience for her. Uh, we've also had Emma taking on uh, the best of Glasgow in the Glasgow schools. So we've got that to look forward to tomorrow. I think they've got the finals day out in Scotston. So... We are going en masse to support her, so that should be good. The heat wave, well, that's ended. We've now had two or three days of rain, so we're now back to the usual Scottish and Glaswegian summer. It hasn't stopped me building that deck. I spoke about Dale building a deck um, last week's show, and uh, the bearers are down, and I'm now trying to put the... Uh, the planks on top so that's all looking good and uh, she who must be obeyed uh, I think is quite pleased with the, the job that's been done um, hopefully I won't slot into my usual DIY phase of half a bob job uh, which means that uh, the, the the project is only half finished so as I'm looking out of the, the kitchen window and it's pushing down with rain uh, I have to say um, I think the the deck might be put on the back burner for the next day or so until we get a wee bit of a dry spell. I have to tell you a strange story uh, about walking into well, in fact, cycling into work last week. I was trying to get into work for sort of seven o'clock, pretty busy at work at the moment, and I'm cycling through the Kelvin Grove Park. And there's very few people who are out and about at that time of the morning. It was about, I guess, quarter to seven. Anyway, if you know Kelvin Grove Park and you've got the Blaze Pitches there and I'm cycling and I, I see this guy in the middle of the Blaze Pitches doing pirouettes and I'm thinking, what the heck's going on here? And then he launches a discus. Yes, a discus. A full-blown Olympic-sized discus which clatters onto the path in front of me. And I'm thinking, what the heck's going on here? So I look round and see the guy, and he's a, an Indian gentleman of a certain age. He must have been about 50-odd. Um, I didn't say anything to him, just cycled past him. He, he walked past me, picked up his discus, and then went back and had another go. So I'd taken some footage of this. It was one of the most bizarre things I've seen this year. Um, and what this guy was doing was he was having to wait until the passage was clear before he spun again and fired off his discus. And I, I looked at him for his second throw and I thought, gosh, he must be quite good at the discus because um, he, he was able to, he must be able to direct the discus in a certain way so that he's not going to put any um, anybody in danger. So uh, I had another look and his second throw was about 90 degrees away from where his first throw was. So Goodness gracious, I, I was surprised that he didn't actually take anybody out. He nearly took me out, but I, I managed to 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 get to work on time. It was just very, very odd. I've not seen him since, I have to say. So he, I don't know what, quite what he was he was training for. I'm not entirely sure there's going to be the, 
the Partick games coming up. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll let you know if I, I catch him again. Maybe he'll, he'll end up doing some pole vault in the middle of, of Kelvin Grover or uh, better watch out for that javelin. So I better tell you what's in the, the, this week's show. What I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about title deeds. Uh, we've got to the stage in the purchasing process where the solicitor should have got hold of the title deeds and that's what the solicitors are being paid for. Uh, they will be examining that set of title deeds and they'll be issuing you a report. So I'll tell you a wee bit more about what you should expect from a solicitor once they've looked at the title deeds. Uh, we're going to bust another myth. Myth. This myth is going to be about the offers over. Um, a lot of people, when they see offers over, they think that in somehow that's going to be linked to the final purchase price. Uh, let me tell you, the offers over has got absolutely nothing at all to do with what the estate agent or the seller is expecting as far as the price is concerned. So we're going to bust that myth. I'm just going to do those two things, talk about the titles and busting a myth. The uh, main reason being is that next week I'm going to have Ian Williamson on the show. I'm prepping up an interview for Ian tomorrow. So he's coming into the office at 8, eight o'clock and we're going to crack out an interview. And hopefully that'll be on next week's show. So let's get started and uh, let's bust another myth. There's many a time a client phones me up and wants me to put an offer in because they've seen a property that they've fallen in love with and they say, I ask them what they think they're going to have to pay to secure the property and always the first thing they say is they remark upon the offers over and they gauge what their offer is going to be based upon the offers over. Again, I have to reiterate that it's the home report that you should be looking at and not the offers over. In essence, the offers over bears no resemblance to what you're going to end up paying as far as the price is concerned. My view on the offers over is very much it is purely a marketing tool by the estate agents to try and get footfall, foot traffic over the threshold, get viewers into the property because the estate agents know that if they get enough people who are interested in buying the property, then they will be able to get a closing date. And what follows on from a closing date is likely to be the best price that the seller is going to get. So the estate agents are using that purely as a marketing tool. Sometimes you'll find that there's an enormous disparity between the offers over the home reports and the eventual purchase price. Um, and there's been many a time that uh, a, a client of mine as a purchaser storms off in high dudgeon because uh, they they feel as if they've been led up the garden path as far as the offers over is concerned. What I would say is make sure that you do your homework. Yes, you will have a budget, but please, when you're looking, don't be drawn in by the offers over Make sure before you go and look at the property that you have a look at the at the home report. The estate agents, what they're trying to do is they are working on the premise that everybody looks to buy a property um, with tenants lager money and champagne tastes. And what I mean by this 
is that many people will look at property and they will try and stretch their budget. They see themselves in living in a property for a great number of years, a medium term or a long term goal. And what they want to try and do, I think, is is assume that their salary, their income is going to increase over the years that they buy the property. And so what they're prepared to do at the start is to, in essence, gamble that their salary is going to increase with a view to potentially overstretching themselves as far as a mortgage is concerned. You know, back in the day pre-crash 2007-2008 where the lenders were prepared to give you you know, any amount of money, it really was just almost a case of rocking up uh, to the bank and, and asking for uh, a multiple of your salary. Now it's less of an issue because the banks are all over affordability and they'll only give you a certain amount of money which they deem to be affordable taking into account your income and expenditure but still it doesn't stop those who are looking for property looking at properties which could potentially be um, over their budget and so what the estate agents will do is that they will market properties at significantly less than the home report value in order to try and lure the uh, prospective purchasers in hope that they just fall in love with the property, possibly take their eye off the ball as far as the what the property is actually going to be sold for and note, a, note an interest because the estate agents know that if it goes to a closing date and they've got a number of notes of interest, then they're certainly going to get a better price than if they were going to be involved in a one-to-one negotiations. What the estate agents have got to to, to watch um, is that they don't want to be looking at putting the offers over too high because if they put the offers over too high, then possibly what's going to happen is that less people will then look at the property. The estate agents are looking for for a closing date and that's what you need to be aware of when you're looking at property is that the estate agents are trying to it may seem very obvious but the estate agents are acting for the seller and they're trying to sell the property not only are they trying to sell the property but they're trying to sell the property for the highest price possible we're all aspirational i think um, and that is what the estate agents are are preying upon. Um, certainly, I've yet to meet a buyer that hasn't tried to push themselves um, with regards to what they are 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 wanting to buy. The estate agents are almost luring the the clients in, um, and what they're hoping is that you will be lured in on the the basis of the. The glossy brochure um, and the, uh, the the 3D walk around video, um, and then once they've they've lured you in there, um, then they'll they'll try and, and hook you on with the offers over and, and put you on to a, a closing date. So be very aware that the offers over is just a marketing tool, and it's the home reports that you need to uh, 
base your purchase price on and there's no point in looking at a property with a low offers over if you're never going to be able to afford the property so please look at the home reports and just make sure that you're comfortable with the home report value before you step over the threshold. So we've reached the stage in the transaction, the purchasing transaction, where your solicitor has received the title deeds. In all likelihood, the solicitor will have received the title deeds at the time of receiving the qualified acceptance. And sometimes the solicitor will uh, decide to examine the title deeds and move the transaction forward, notwithstanding the fact that you don't have your mortgage in place, or they will just wait until you've got your mortgage secured, and then at that stage, they will go ahead and examine the title deeds. So what I'm going to uh, talk about here is the title deeds. Um, I'll tell you a wee bit more about what they consist of, uh, what the solicitor is actually looking for when they're examining the title deeds. I'll tell you uh, what you can expect to see from your solicitor as far as reports are concerned. I'll tell you a wee bit more about what you should be looking out for and also what does your solicitor do once they've actually examined the title. So let's get started and tell you what the title deeds consist of. So back in the day, you used to have title deeds which used to have every title, every transaction that was um, done from the time the property was built through to the original owners. Um, that used to be that used to consist of uh, an individual document and as a solicitor you had to trawl through these individual documents. Sometimes they dated back to 18 oat cakes um, and uh, sometimes it was ye the English and, and sometimes you were having to read photocopies of photocopies and, and it just it used to be it was one of the worst jobs as a, as a trainee having to note title, I have to say. There's not, I don't think, too many solicitors who take great joy in uh, trying to decipher um, title deeds. Um, I remember back in the day um, that you used to have to, to unwind the title deeds, which always used to be strangely, and I can never understand why this was, but title deeds were always used to be bundled in this pink ribbon. Um, I would envisage that uh, these firms of solicitors used to employ people just to to bind um, the title deeds in pink ribbon. And, and I think there might be a apocryphal story here, but I think there was a firm in Edinburgh that used to actually, part of your traineeship was... Um, uh, how to actually tie together bundles of titles in this um, pink, uh, this pink ribbon. Um, that's the kind of thing that we <laughs> used to get up to as far as training contracts are concerned. Anyway, um, and the other thing was that you're looking at all these um, title deeds, um, and goodness knows what you know diseases you you could be. Um, contracting from looking at these 1800, uh, 1880, 1890, 1880 oak cake um, title deeds. Um, so uh, I wonder if there's a, an industrial um, an claim for damages um, when, when I come down with some horrendous disease and uh, this has been caused by uh, the examination of, of these old title deeds. 
But anyway, I digress. They've done away with all of that. And what you now get is a land certificate. Your land certificate, as you know, is a yellow bank document. You're looking into the land certificate. It's all plan-based, so you'll have a plan which will disclose your property. You'll have a legal description. Uh, that's a description in words describing your property um, as it is bounded red on the plan. You will have a proprietorship section that will tell you who owns the property and you'll have a charges section which tells you whether or not there's a mortgage on the property. And then you've got your burden section, which is really your conditions of ownership. So that's what you can expect as far as the titles are concerned. It's called a land certificate. Um, they now don't issue a land certificate and it's all done online. Um, they've moved into the 21st, 22nd century at the land registry. And the idea is that within, I think it's 20, 25 years, what they're hoping to achieve is that from the paper-based land certificate, what they hope to do is to get everything on what's called a cadastral plan. And they're looking to make sure that uh, the whole title exercise is computerised uh, in 20, 25 years. So they've got a long way to go before they achieve that. So that's your land certificate, that's your title deeds, and that's what you're looking at to prove your ownership. It's the most important document, and it's a document that, that will prove your ownership. So when your solicitor is looking at that, what he's wanted to do is, first of all, he needs to make sure that the person who's selling the property is the person that you're contracting with, okay? So does the seller own the property? He's also looking just to make sure that the description of the property is acceptable. Again, you need, as the purchaser, you need to be aware of that and you need to say to your solicitor that you're happy with the description of the property. You need to make sure, the solicitor should be making sure that there's sufficient access Clearly not a great problem as far as a tenement property is concerned, but maybe more of a problem where you're buying something out in the sticks. Um, you also need to make sure that you've got access rights for drainage. Again, that's maybe more to do with properties, uh, rural properties where you've got septic tanks. Alteration documentation, if a property has been hacked and uh, it, there are, are uh, lots and lots of alterations. It tends to happen a lot in flats. Um, fair amount of alteration documentation uh, or alterations rather gets done in detached and semi-detached properties. You need to make sure, the solicitor needs to make sure that all the necessary documentation is in place because it is something, something that over my time um, has been an enormous issue uh, and can certainly stall a transaction. Uh, the amount of times that transactions have stalled or even failed because of a lack of building warrant or a completion certificate um, are, are as long as, as my arm. Timber treatment documents, solicitors looking at that just to make sure that if there's been any dry rot, wet rot, then that has been dealt with and that there are the necessary guarantees and other reports there. There's various other bits and pieces I won't bore you about, various ancillary documents, matrimonial declarations. Um, you need to make sure that these are all put in place. And if the property is a rural property, then you need to make sure that all the, the SEPA documentation is in place. So that's what you're paying your solicitor to do. Your solicitor is then going to make sure that 
uh, everything on a legal front is absolutely fine. Um, what you can expect from the solicitor is that the solicitor should be giving you, at the very least, a written report. That written report should include reference to the description, uh, should be asking you to confirm that you're happy with the description and the report should also demonstrate that the solicitor is happy with all the ancillary documentation. If he's not happy with the ancillary documentation, he should be telling you what he's not happy with and what he's going to do to ensure that at the end of the transaction all the ancillary documentation is indeed in place. So you've got your report, he should also be sending you a copy set of the title deeds, uh, the land certificate as I previously mentioned, and he should also be sending to you the document which is known as the disposition, that is the legal document which in fact transfers the ownership. The document called a disposition goes then to the land register and the land register then convert that and issue the land certificate uh, or they'll put your property onto the cadastral plan which I, I mentioned earlier. So you should get a report that should have a description. It should also mention the details of the ownership, that's the conditions of ownership. I'm going to talk a wee bit about what you should be looking out for and again the conditions of ownership are pretty important and you need to make sure that you're happy and comfortable with those conditions. So what should you be looking out for and what sh what's important for you as an individual when you're looking at the title deeds? Well, first things first, you need to make sure that you're happy with the description of the property. I think that's the most important thing. If you're buying a rural property, make sure that there's sufficient access Ask your solicitor about the access arrangements, not only for accessing the property, but also, most importantly, for accessing the drainage requirements if you've got a septic tank. I would make sure that you have a look and understand the conditions of ownership. These are contained within the burden section. You shouldn't really have to trawl through the whole of the burden section. Your solicitor should, in his report, have identified the pertinent points some of the the conditions are bizarre. Um, Glasgow properties close to the Clyde sometimes have a right to, to salmon fishing in the Clyde. Um, you'll find that a lot of the conditions state that you can't breed dogs. There's various clauses within um, conditions of ownership for flats where you can't teach the piano or you can't teach elocution lessons. Um, there, there's certainly a whole myriad um, amount of uh, conditions that you'll find and come across in title deeds. Some of the other conditions include is there a common buildings insurance policy, is the property factored uh, and also if you are going to alter the property do you need to get any consents before you do that. Have a look at the conditions of ownership, just make sure that you're comfortable with those and finally the third most important thing is the alteration documentation. Uh, I can't stress more highly enough how important getting your building warrant, your plans and your alteration documentation in place. I'll probably do a podcast purely on alteration documentation. It's that important. Um, and I'll, I'll come and talk about that in the coming weeks. So that's what you should be looking out for as far as the titles are concerned.
what does the solicitor do then? Once the solicitor has examined the title deeds, what is it that he does? Well, let me tell you. Once the solicitor has examined the title deeds and is happy with all of the, the titles, what he'll do is he'll draft the disposition. The disposition, as I say, is a document which transfers the ownership. He should be sending you a copy. Make sure that you read over the disposition. Make sure that the price is right, the date of entry is right, that the spellings are all correct as far as the, uh, the your name and also the seller's name is concerned. The solicitor, once he's done that, the solicitor will then prepare the report. He'll send you the report. Uh, he'll send you a copy set of title deeds and a copy of the disposition. Once he's done that, then what he's going to do is he will then send the documentation, the disposition, the title deeds. He'll send those back to the uh, seller solicitor and he'll also raise any observations that he has on the title deeds. So some solicitors will have a schedule of observations that they will uh, request answers to and others will do it on an ad hoc basis. So kind of observations that you're looking for are ones like uh, you need to ask for all the searches, you need to find out where the keys are, is there a factor, who the factor is, is there a common buildings insurance policy, He'll be asking for any alteration documentation, any ancillary documentation with regards to the timber treatments, etc. You'll need to make sure if there's any affidavits that are required that they're all done, any SEPA consents. There's a whole raft of things that the solicitor will be requesting. And what I would be doing is, as a, a client, I would just be leaving the solicitor to get on with those. What the solicitor should be doing is he should then give you almost an ancillary report based upon the old, the uh, answers that he gets to the uh, to the observations that have been raised because you need to know is the property factor because you need to know is there a common buildings insurance policy in place you need to know where the keys are obviously going to be and you need to know that all the alteration documentation the timber treatment documentation is all in a fit place so that's what the solicitor will do he will generally give himself sufficient time to make sure that the seller is able to respond to the uh, observations in good time and should be sitting in the week before settlement. All of the observations should be answered so that there's no mad panic uh, to get the transaction over the line because he hasn't answered all of the observations. So that's pretty much it. We've gone through what the titles consist of, what your solicitor is going to be looking for, what you can expect from the solicitor, what you should be looking out for, and also what does the solicitor do. That sort of winds up everything with regards to the titles. And next week we'll move on to talk about the loan papers and the rest of the buying transaction. Okay, that's another one in the can. That's the end of episode 10 of the Bricks and Mortar podcast. I'm trying to push out the podcast and get a wee bit of traction on the podcast. I mentioned last week that I was 
having the, the flyers and I was going to trawl around the, the West End meeting some estate agents just to see if we can get the, the podcast out there. So uh, I popped into to Coram uh, and met with John Davidson there. So um, he's very keen to come on to the show. So we should get John on the show hopefully over the next couple of weeks. Um, popped into uh, Innes Allen at uh, Vanilla Square. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll have a chat with Innes and, and see if, if he's keen to come on to the show. Um, we also popped in to see Maitland uh, Walker at Retty's and uh, he's got some of the, the flyers as well. So if you do see sight of the flyers, then uh, yeah, drop me a, a line, send me a, an email. Uh, you can get me on Jonathan Williams at begleybrown.co.uk. As they were on the Twitters under jwilliams underscore bb. Uh, that's on the Twitters. We've got the website, obviously, the Bricks and Mortar podcast. Uh, some people ask me how to find uh, the podcast, and the best thing probably to do is just to Google the Bricks and Mortar podcast. Just simply go into Google the Bricks and Mortar podcast, and we've got three or four entries on the first page. It'll give you a good link into the iTunes where you can subscribe. That's probably the best way of getting the uh, listening to the podcast on a weekly basis. You don't have to faff about with downloading it. Just subscribe on iTunes and uh, they'll send you one once we have done another show. So to say that really winds up another episode. Um, we're going to try and get some more interviews on the show. As I say, just about to do an interview with Ian Williamson at Ivy Property, so we're going to do that tomorrow morning. Uh, we're going to get a few more guitar pieces as far as the introductions are concerned, so I'll get Emma to do a wee bit of uh, plucking on the on the guitar. Um, and I've started training again. Uh, I'm going to do the Pedal for Scotland, which is a 50-mile bicycle uh, race from Glasgow to Edinburgh. I think it's some point in September we're going to be doing that. So I need to get back in the saddle. I'm going to be raising some money for Alzheimer's. My father-in-law passed away a a little while ago, having suffered from Alzheimer's, and I'm keen to raise as much money as possible. So we've got a, a donation page on Just Giving. So if you look that up, I'm pretty sure that you can just look under my name, Jonathan Williams, and uh, it would be great if you could donate some money towards Alzheimer's. Um, I'm going to wrap this up. As I say, have a look out for the flyers. It would be great to hear from you. You've been listening to the Bricks and Mortar podcast, a sideways look at buying property.